0: Listener Production. Jacob Stanley has a voice like chocolate, which is handy because he's half of one of Australia's most popular podcasts, Just the Gist, which he hosts with best friend Rosie Waterland.
1: Just a bit of a dud, says the lady who was involved.
0: Bit of a dud. Oh, I bet it's not the first time he's heard that. (laughs) So, (laughs) Jacob was a kid who experienced tragedy early in life. He was also a kid born for the spotlight.
1: One of those cliched kids that's a total performer.
0: And that spotlight came quickly after he landed a dream job at Beauty Juggernaut Mecca and became their head of learning and development, where he'd have to present to thousands of eager beauty students.
1: Young boys and teenagers expressing themselves more through the application of makeup.
0: My name is Jamila Risby, and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. The weekend list is on its way, where Tate McGregor and I recommend what to watch, see, listen, do, eat this weekend. But first, here is my chat with Jacob Stanley, as requested by one of his avid fans, coming to you from far north Queensland, where Jacob is living an idyllic nomad life, free from the clutches of Sydney lockdown. Jacob Stan, oh no! I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for the chair to move.
1: (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Hi, Jam.
0: Jacob Stanley, welcome to the weekend briefing. We had a little bit of a false start there, but we've got you now. And I want you to begin by telling everyone. And don't hold back. You're allowed to make us jealous. Tell us where you are right
1: now. (laughs) This feels really cruel for everyone in Sydney, but I did manage to once again escape the lockdown just in the nick of time. I'm up in tropical far north Queensland, a place called Garner's Beach on a nature reserve, which has a fantastic little eco lodge in it that you have to hike to get to. And then I'm in a hut in the middle of the rainforest canopy next door to a cassowary rehabilitation centre. And it is just one of the most incredibly beautiful places on earth. And you will hear the sounds of the rainforest throughout this recording. I'm sure you'll hear the birds, you'll hear the bugs and you'll hear the coconuts landing on the roof of this little hut that I'm currently sitting in.
0: I am filthy jealous, but also, that sounds beautiful. And I know that this isn't a once-off for you. It's not like you've taken a week off to go on holiday. Mm. You have been travelling for for a year now? Tell us about that. Yeah, a
1: year and a half. Um, wasn't exactly what the plan was initially. I finished up work at the beginning of 2020 with a plan of travelling the world. I wanted to go and visit all seven continents in the space of a year or two. Obviously, we know what happened to shut that plan down. But I was lucky enough to be able to travel around Australia instead once the pandemic had started to settle down a bit last year. So I spent a few months up here in tropical North Queensland. I loved it so much that I decided to come back and visit. And as fate would have it, I've now ended up kind of stuck here in a way. Yeah, so for the last year and a half, I've kind of been up and down the eastern seaboard from Cape York down to Melbourne and then back again.
0: What has been the best thing that you've seen so far?
1: The Great Barrier Reef, without a doubt. I learnt to scuba dive last year and I've been doing as much of that as possible because we all know how precious the reef is. We all know that it's in a state of crisis. It's not going to be there forever. And so really getting to understand the ecosystem out there and experience the different species that you can observe while you're under the water has just been phenomenal. And for everyone listening, when you can travel, put this at the top of your list. Don't put off travelling Australia until later in life. Come and see it now when you can because it is just life-changing.
0: You are going to be rivaling Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster Blake to do the next Tourism Australia campaign. I'm very impressed (laughs) and I'm completely convinced. Were you someone who grew up travelling? Did you do a lot of travel with your family when you were a kid? Uh,
1: Not really outside of New South Wales, I would say. Most of the holidays that we went on, we'd go up to the Byron Shire area because one of my aunts had a gorgeous farm up there, which was my favourite place in the world. I didn't leave the country with my family. I didn't leave the country till I was 16, did an exchange program in Germany. I suppose that's probably what did give me the travel bug. I just loved experiencing Europe so much that then I sort of kept going back there as frequently as I could. Travel's definitely always been a passion of mine, but I would say it probably stems from that initial experience of seeing Europe at 16.
0: Tell me about you as a teenager. What kind of kid were you like?
1: (laughs) Um, I kind of have to rely on my mum's description from when I was a really, really little kid. Apparently, I started speaking really young, like at around one. I was quite verbose. Yeah, which mum didn't recognise because we lived on a farm. She wasn't really interacting with a lot of other kids the same age. She was kind of in an isolated environment. So she didn't really think that that was anything strange that I was speaking so young. And I was very, very gregarious as a kid. So she found that anytime she would take me out to the shops, it would take her an extended amount of time because I would be stopping every stranger saying, hello, man, hello, lady, hello, girl, nice dress, (laughs) and starting up a conversation with everybody. And then I sort of became one of those cliched kids that's a total performer. I was performing basically from when I was born. And so my main interests as a kid were singing, acting, that sort of thing. Wish I could say dancing, but I wasn't permitted to go to dance class, which my mum always says is her greatest regret. She thought that I would end up getting picked on at school if I started doing dancing, because, you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s she didn't want me bringing that sort of potential negative attention on myself.
0: Tell me about your first time falling in love. Who was that? Or maybe not love. Who was that first teenage crush?
1: Sarah Michelle Geller, Buffy the vampire slayer.
0: Oh, I see.
1: <laughs> Possibly Alicia Silverstone even before her. No, but in real life, one of my best friends in the world, Carly, I just felt such affection for her from year seven onwards. It wasn't until a few years later that I came to terms with the fact that I was gay, but I genuinely felt like I was in love with her and wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. Because she is still now one of my best friends, I am kind of spending the rest of my life with her. You are. We have plans that later in life, we're going to move in together with a couple of our other friends and live that golden girl's lifestyle of permed elderly women, somewhere tropical, of course, getting up to hijinks.
0: Now, one of your other best mates is our mutual friend, Rosie Waterland who has been on the weekend briefing previously Mm -hmm. and together you host a hugely popular podcast called Just the Mm -hmm. Gist. Tell me about Just the Gist.
1: Just the Gist is a fantastic idea that Rosie came up with. She'd been approached by listener to come up with another podcast concept after her first podcast with them. Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie was so successful and she wanted to come up with a Podcast that sort of broke down really fascinating stories in a very easy to digest way that just got straight to the point and gave you the best parts without bogging you down in any of the detail. Every week we tell a different story, which might be something that you're familiar with, and we take you right back there so you can sort of experience it once again. In a lot of cases, though, it's a story that people have never heard before because we do try to find stories with very quirky twists and turns. The ultimate goal is that you'll understand what we're sharing with you in such a efficient way that you'll then be able to share that story with friends and family and loved ones over a dinner table.
0: I know that you have supported Rosie through some really difficult periods in her life and she actually spoke about that on the episode of The Weekend Briefing with us. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about Vice Versa. How does she support you? What does she do and what magic does she bring to your life outside of the podcast?
1: Well, obviously because Rosie's had so much experience in... The media. I mean, you guys met working at Mamma Mia together and I know that you taught her a huge amount there. She learned so much on the job working there and then she's gone on to write her books and tour her comedy specials and do interview after interview after interview. So she's been able to really help me with honing my storytelling approach and also help me prepare for being in the public eye, which I never was. And to be honest, a year and a half ago, I never would have believed that I would be.
0: How do you feel about that now? Because it's been a quick transition for mm. you. You were, you know, there's a million people around Australia who are starting a podcast with mm-hmm. their mate. Seriously. I reckon my husband says it over dinner once a week. I wish <laughs> start a
1: podcast, yeah, but starting subscribe.
0: a podcast with a friend that becomes as popular as yours has means suddenly you've got people who know who you are. How does that sit with you?
1: Um, It wasn't something that I was seeking at first, but then I was kind of told it's inevitable. So embrace it and here's some pointers on how you can do it well. So that's certainly been how Rosie has helped with that. My intention, I mentioned before when I left my job, I'd worked at the same place for 12 years and there was so much that I loved about my company and my role, but it was time for me to do something different. And so, as I said, I was planning to go and travel the world in 2020 and not work at all and then see what the next chapter in my life was going to look like, what the next step on my journey was going to be. So, I was leaving it up to fate to sort of steer me in whatever direction. My mantra at the time was jump and the net will appear. So just take the leap and don't have a plan and just have faith that it's all going to work out. Back yourself. And then this ended up being the net. This is what I fell into. And I've just tried to really wrap my arms around it and embrace it as much as possible and make the most of it because it's A, a really, really special opportunity that Rosie and the team at Listener have given me. And B, it's something that I've found out that I really truly love. And most of the things that I've done in my life that I've loved have been things that I've fallen into. Like beauty was not something that I sought out. I just fell backwards into that.
0: Well, let's talk about that because you spent 12 years immersed in the beauty industry, Mm -hmm. running the learning and development department for Mecca Brands, Mm -hmm. who anyone who is into beauty knows Mecca in Australia. Tell me about working in beauty and working in beauty as a bloke, because it's less usual. Beauty is dominated by women and Australian men, I don't think have gotten into makeup in the same way as men in some European countries have, for example.
1: Mecca is very proudly a female-led business predominantly. So from the top down, the majority of the workforce in support centre and out in store are female. So yes, as a male there, we were in the minority, less than 10% when I was there, of the workforce was male. It was a welcoming environment for anybody. Predominantly, our customers were female, yes, but we were definitely noticing an upswing in men coming into the stores themselves to find solutions for their skin was usually the most common thing that would bring them in or to find fragrance for themselves and explore the range that we had there as I was leaving, definitely we were starting to notice more and more men coming in looking for products that would enhance their complexion mostly. So they were looking for very subtle concealer, bit of powder, maybe some matte bronzer that people wouldn't necessarily notice. So it was really about sort of gently touching themselves up a little bit while at the same time, certainly seeing a lot more young boys in particular coming in and wanting to explore all the dramatic, glittery, bright, coloured makeup, which was partly led, I think, well, I know from people like Jeffree Star and James Charles emerging. So really some of the most powerful forces in the beauty industry in the time I was working in it that emerged were male YouTubers and vloggers and influencers. And they were influencing females as well as males, but they really were paving the way for young boys and teenagers to start expressing themselves more through the application of makeup.
0: When I think about you and your approach to beauty, but more generally your approach to everything in your life, you come to it with a lot of empathy. And I think that comes from a place of putting yourself in the shoes of others and genuinely caring about other people. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from for you, do you think? Is it around how you were raised or your family?
1: I had an incredible relationship. I was so lucky. My nan and I was super, super close. She lived just down the road from us, so I went and visited her every single day, and we had such fantastic chats. She didn't have an Irish accent, but her background was Irish, and that Catholic upbringing of everyone else has to come before me. I'll put myself at the back of the queue. That's certainly how she raised her kids and then that's certainly how they went on to raise their kids so it stems back to Nana Pat who was just an incredible person and she is still my moral compass and for pretty much everyone in my family she is. You think what would Nanny do and you certainly won't be steered wrong.
0: Tell me about some of the harder times you've had in your life because we've spent most of our chat talking about lovely Mm. things like your holidays and makeup (laughs) and landing this extraordinary podcast journey that you're now a part of. How do you cope with harder times? Tell me about one of those.
1: Um, I had to really learn about resilience at quite a young age. My sister, who was my best friend in the world, she was two years younger than I am. She developed a brain tumour just before she turned eight and within the space of a couple of months of radiotherapy and chemotherapy, we lost her. And that was really, really intense heartbreak to experience before I'd even turned 10 years old. That is obviously a pain that's going to be with me, my mum and the rest of my family forever. Um, But we have had to just find a way to move through life carrying that with us and find ways to sort of build relationships that don't replace, but help to fill the void that she left when she died. So I've become incredibly fortunate in terms of the friends that I've made Over the course of my life, I've kept really, really close friendships from primary school, high school, uni. I mean, Rosie herself is an example of that. I really, really value friendship as much as I value family. And therefore, I have this incredible support network of people who are unwaveringly wonderful whenever I need them. A few years after my sister died, my dad also died of a brain tumour his treatment process took closer to 9 years so he died when i was 20 years old i think so that was a traumatic period to go through those 9 years watching him you know struggling and getting so frustrated with all of the different treatments that he was going through which i know is something that you can absolutely relate to firsthand seeing The way that my mum was responding in that situation when she was dealing with her own grief, having lost my sister and at the same time having to support someone who was going through all of those different treatments. Her patience was incredible and that's been a huge influence on me. So the short version of that question is surround yourself with really fantastic people and create a support network who can be there for you and have patience.
0: Your mum sounds absolutely extraordinary. Did you ever want to be a parent?
1: No. No, I've always known that kids were going to be expensive and messy and <laughs> not <are>. for me. <laughs> it's not something that's ever interested me, which I will say there is part of me that feels guilt over the fact that I won't be creating grandkids for mum because she would be the most wonderful next generation of nan. Luckily, though, I do have a half brother from my dad's first marriage. He didn't live with us growing up, but such a great guy. And he's got a wonderful wife and two really gorgeous kids that call mum Nanny Tato. And she gets to put all her grandmotherly energy into them.
0: She can channel that energy. Jacob thank you so much for being with me on the weekend briefing it has been such a pleasure even if you did make us a little bit envious (laughs) with the sounds and descriptions of your travel plans and we look forward to the next episode of just the gist
1: thank you so much
0: that's it for my chat with Jacob Stanley you can of course catch him on listener with his just the gist podcast which he hosts with comedian and best friend Rosie Waterland up next the weekend list so don't go away Welcome to The Weekend List and welcome, Tate McGregor. What have you got for me to do this weekend?
2: Ooh, I want to put you on to one of my favourite series at the moment. It's called The White Lotus. It's an HBO show so you can watch it on binge and it's about one week at a holiday resort in Hawaii. It's one of those shows that follows multiple different storylines that end up intersecting. So there's hotel staff, a rich family, a mourning woman and a honeymooning couple. And it's really beautifully shot. The script is satirical comedy meets drama, and it stars Jennifer Coolidge, Sydney Sweeney, Alexandra Daddario, Jake Lacey, so many more big stars. And I sit there anticipating the show every week. I cannot recommend it any higher. The White Lotus. Watch it on binge. Aloha.
1: Happy to be here. We're on our honeymoon. You're such valued guests. Welcome to The White Lotus.
0: Gem what are you reading? What am I reading? I am getting ready for the next season of my other podcast Anonymous Was A Woman which means my bedside table stack of books is absolutely falling over and I'm almost terrified by just how much I have to get read <laughs> but I loved diving into Julia Baird's Media Tarts which is actually a re-release so Julia Baird wrote this book in the late 90s early noughties I think it was and she looked at the media treatment of women politicians. At the time, she was looking at people like Bromwyn Bishop and Cheryl Kernow. but given what's been happening in the news the last 18 months or so, she has re-released it with a new forward for a new generation of women and a new generation of politicians who are being treated badly,
2: the media. Dan that really relates to our chat with um, Kate Ellis talking about how Julia Gillard was um, treated in the media. Yeah absolutely and I think there was a lot for
0: Julia Baird the author to reflect on now that we've had our first woman prime minister and we've got more and more women in the senior ranks of the parliament but that's not necessarily making for a fair or equitable
2: place to work. Mm, absolutely. I want to give a recommendation on behalf of a listener who sent in what we should be listening to. If you have a recommendation, make sure you hit us up on Instagram, Instagram, Send us a message at The Briefing Podcast. This is from Sue Margaret. She's recommended a band called Sir Archer and says they will cheer up anyone in this environment. I've done a little search and they're a seven-piece band from Sydney. They're a band that's really easy listening. She's totally right there. If you want to just calm down and put a smile on your face, Sir Archer is the band for you. They say that they're a flavour guaranteed to satisfy. And having a quick listen... I think that's spot on there.
0: Awesome. And I need something new to listen to. I feel like lockdown always takes me back into all of the music that is my go-to all the time. And it means I'm never discovering anything new. Now, speaking of discovering new things, I recorded a podcast the other day for Ladies We Need to Talk. And then I discovered Ladies We Need to Talk. So it's an ABC podcast. It's about everything feminist and gender. It's hosted by Yumi Steins and her newest episode is about female friendship and the power of female friendship. And she talks about the fact that on every form you have to fill out, there's always a box you have to tick about your romantic status. Are you de facto married, single, whatever it might be. And she asks why it is that we judge ourselves and define ourselves by romantic relationships when friendships are often the strongest bonds of our life. And Yumi invited me and my best mate Claire Bowditch on the podcast basically to talk about why we're friends. And it was so lovely and silly and funny and teary. And I loved hearing about other women's friendships. And it's not just for chicks. You will enjoy this episode. And it's the sort of episode that as soon as you hear it, you're going to want to send it and share it with your best mate. That's it for the weekend list for this week. Thank you so much for being with us, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's chat. If you did, then you should subscribe so you can hear more of them. Head to the Listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave a rating and a review. It will help more people find out about the Briefing podcast and, of course, the Weekend Briefing. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning with Tom and Annika, who will have the latest news right to your headphones. Listener.